people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Lucasfilm made a huge mistake they prefer we all forget. The Star Wars Holiday Special. Lucasfilm is still saying, Mark, we shouldn't talk about that. Nobody is allowed to mention this. No, you don't remember it? It is so bad, it's not good. You have to see the Star Wars Holiday Special to believe it. The Emperor said we can't show the special in this trailer. But rest assured, you will see all the clips you can handle in the documentary film, A Disturbance in the Force. The Star Wars holiday special is sort of like the holy grail. I wanted to see this more than I wanted to live. We're starving as fans for anything Star Wars. So funny and so stupid at the same time. We have seen something that we weren't supposed to see. How did this happen? To find answers, we travel back and experience the insanity of 1970s variety television. When 70s TV was bad, there was no description for it. How in the world is George Lucas allowing this to happen? You intergalactic fool. Think you know about the Star Wars holiday special? You don't. A disturbance in the force. A story 45 years in the making. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking to Jeremy Kuhn and Steve Kozak all about their new documentary, A Disturbance in the Force. It's all about the infamous Star Wars holiday special. Their film just had its premiere at South by Southwest. Be sure to visit their website, holidayspecialdoc.com, to find out where it's playing near you. Thanks for listening and enjoy this interview. Steve and Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to talk to you guys about a disturbance in the force. Jeremy, it's been a few years since we've talked, and I have to ask, when did you actually start on this project? Because it seems like it was huge. The last time we talked was 2015 when I did the Raiders, and I met Steve in 2019, and the first things we shot was in June of 2019. How did you even manage to make the documentary during COVID? Did you do remote shooting? Or how was that? Or did everything just go on pause? I think it largely went on pause. Steve was brave enough to go do a bunch of interviews for people that were willing. But it, I mean, a lot of this was just piecemeal where it's like, we do an interview, let's just go do it now. Or we tack things on to other shoots. Let's tack this on and see if we can ask them some questions about it. So a lot of it was that. But there's no grand plan. It was just as we went along, we knew we, what we wanted to get. There was one or two people that were wanted to be interviewed outside. When COVID hit, it was like these people had been inside for so long, they really wanted to talk. They were so grateful for just company. A lot of these older guys wanted to talk anyway. This is not hard to get these people to talk, surprisingly. I think they, these older TV guys have just been kind of tossed aside, And but there's amazing stories there. Steve, what's your history with the Star Wars Holiday Special as well? 
I'm the complete opposite of Jeremy. He comes from film. He's educated. He's technically knowledgeable. I come from television. I work in legal licensing. I was a producer for Who Line Is It Anyway? I did the green screen bit for four seasons where I just, my whole job was just to find weird, bizarre footage. I find a lot of before they were famous stuff for the last 20 years in late night, you know, back to police shows and world's scariest brothels or whatever. I'm, these crazy uh, clip shows, pretty much. The Clip Master. And how I got involved this was that it's actually doing a trade show. I have a trade association and I was looking for an event to do. And I was thinking about doing an event around the Star Wars holiday special, a live event. And then I realized it was maybe more than that. I was going to ruin not being able to really interview these people again. I'd blow that one opportunity. And actually, I called Jeremy initially because we have a mutual friend, John Heater. And he said, oh, call John, because I was thinking of doing a screening. And I don't think if you remember that, Jeremy, that's what yeah. I called you. And then I mentioned this documentary I was trying to push. And man, I mean, there was a couple of people that were interested earlier. But wow, Jeremy, within a day, he had a whole map of ideas and jumped all over it. That really is what pushed us. Because there were a lot of older people that were starting to the director was losing his eyesight and there was a lot of people that were starting to get older. I was worried about. So we were able to get a lot of those interviews down like pretty quickly after he got on board. So did you see it originally when it aired? Yeah, I did. And I guess that identifies the age gap between Jeremy and I. Jeremy stuck. It's like 25 or something. I didn't see it until I was, it was 2002. So I was 23. I thought aired. It's very frustrating to hear that, but, uh, yeah, I saw, I, you know, one of the themes we have in this is that television back in those days was just, you had low expectations. They divvied up the audiences and the demographics for these shows. You had the same amount of time of Han Solo as you did of Jefferson Starship or Diane Carroll, which, but I was still happy. I got my five, 10 minutes on Harrison Ford and I, but yeah, I didn't think it was that bad. Well, it makes low expectations, low expectations. If it makes you feel better, Steve, I also saw it when it aired originally. Thank you. I appreciate it. Do you like it? I really liked the animated segment. That was probably my favorite bit, especially seeing Boba Fett. And I was just like, oh, who is this guy? And when they advertised, send in your proofs of purchase and get a figure, I had, I don't know why I kept all these backs of the cards. So I had, I think I ended up with four Boba Fetts. So I was just thrilled. Nice. <laughs> So, Jeremy, what did you think of it when you're seeing it in 2000, whenever? I made it like 25 minutes in, and I was like, this is terrible. This is either not real. My first thing was like, I saw it was a bootleg DVD that my friend had gotten me. And yeah, I was just like, I can't finish this. And I wasn't convinced that it was real. I thought someone had maybe put it together somehow. <laughs> it just didn't make sense to me at 23 in 2002, why this existed. Weren't a big variety show fan at that time? I, mean, I was aware of variety, just not Star Wars being mixed into it. Paul Sheer, we did an interview with Paul Sheer. He explained it as being like mixing gasoline with peanut butter as opposed to like chocolate and peanut butter. It's just two things that were never meant to go together. It feels like you guys might have some stories to tell as far as the behind the scenes of this, because there's certain things where like all of the taped interviews, like how did the taped interviews 
actual cassette tapes or that's how you represent them anyway. How did those come to be and how did they get into the documentary? This guy, Ross, so Steve actually tracked him down, but he did a 20th anniversary article on the holiday special. So in 98, I care what uh, magazine was for, but he, in the process of doing that, he film facts, film facts. So he went through and he interviewed all these people over the phone and he just had hours and hours of like the Welches was just a gold mine because they, I don't know when they passed away, but there, there's no way we're going to get anything from them. And like, it was great to hear their voice. So it's just a matter of going through all that and trying to pull stuff out that's useful. But I think there's probably, I don't know, 30, 40 hours of stuff. Wow. That's amazing. And it feels like there's something going on there with the director, the original director, I should say, of the special, just the way that his tone changes between the original taped interview and then the second one that you play, where he just wants nothing to do with it. Well, I guess the difference is that the when he started, the when, he, when he was mad, he'd already started talking to me. So he was talking to this other guy 25 years ago and had a very good conversation with the guy doing the magazine. He reveals a lot of stuff in that. That's the where he reveals this story where he had tried to cast Robin Williams. And there's all these great nuggets in there and his frustrations he was having. Then once I started getting involved, I mean, obviously, Akumba is the best story if you could get anyone on tape. So I was, you know, I would call him up every now and then. And he was, you know, I don't think so. I don't think so. And then like the last one I happened to tape, and man, he just was, I'm done. This is it. My name's not on it. You could go do this. And I haven't called him since. You can understand his frustration where he's had a whole career and this is all anyone remembers. Right. Yeah. The two weeks he spent on this. And it was three days of shooting. It was nothing that he did. And yeah, I mean, they shot like the, almost the whole budget in those three days. Just insane. Insane. So how did you approach this? Did you guys just make this master list of here's all the people that we want to talk to and start hunting them down? Or what was your approach to even coming to this material? I first started going through the whole cast. What I didn't really mention, my father uh, used to produce those Bob Hope specials. And it's like one of the initial things that made me think about doing this because I thought it's such a great story. There's so many Star Wars docs, but I've never heard anything on the most fascinating portion of it, which I think is this special. And I started looking at the IMDb list. I started noticing, oh my gosh, this person's practically like one of the cameramen is practically related to me. It's such a small world. I grew up with a lot of these cameramen and directors and so forth because they did the Bob Hope specials. And then they went and did Donnie and Marie, and then they did their independent stuff that worked with Hemi and whatever. And so it was a very small world. So I went after those guys and just tried to get as much lined up. And then when Jeremy came on board, he didn't really question a lot of the ideas I had. And then he finessed it and started. He definitely is the one who wanted to have the comedians. And I think that's the biggest response we've got is people just raving up Seth Green and Taron Killen. We had to get like our meat of the meal with the people who actually worked on it. So he wanted like first person accounts. And like Steve said, a lot of them could pass away at any moment. So we wanted to get a bunch of those. And then once we had a cut, it was kind of like, all right, let's go talk to these celebrities and get some comedy in there. We wanted to have it be like, what it's like talk, like it was Seth Green or Kevin Smith, like watching this. And like, those are the best people because like they're connected to Star Wars. They're hugely knowledgeable and they're famous and they're great on camera. So like a lot of those people, you just basically cut them loose and let them go wherever they wanted. 
because initially I was, I was like, Lucas is such a jerk. Why does he make such a big deal out of this? And through the whole process of this, I kind of have more empathy for him where I'm like, I can understand his position. I don't know what I would do if I would probably do something similar if it were me. Yeah. I remember back in 1997 when that definitive box set of the discs came out, the laser discs came out. And I thought for sure that the Star Wars holiday special was going to be on that for whatever reason. And when it didn't, I was just so angry about that for no good reason. Lucas said in like 87 that he expected it to come out on something in some form. So that's never happened. I love the mixture that you do have more contemporary people with the older people, the original, the OG, the folks that are actually working on it. Plus, Steve, I got to tell you, the interview with Donny Osmond was fantastic. And hearing his reminiscences of working on that, that Donny Marie show with all the Star Wars characters was fantastic. A lot of it is just coincidence. The fact that Donny Osmond was a relevant part of this story only came after I started working on it. I actually know Donny Osmond very well. I didn't help represent his library. I was a producer on his his Vegas show with all the over 500 clips and videos and licensed that for him. The coincidence that he was this had a major part in this down the road was just mind blowing. He's so self-deprecating and he's such a nice guy and he just opened up and we had to really cut down on his interview. He had a lot to say. There were a lot of great little nuggets in there that we just didn't have time for, but yeah, he definitely was uh was a highlight. The coincidence that we have the Bob Hope stuff too. I didn't, I wasn't raised with a lot of celebrities. My dad did represent Bob Hope, but I knew so few celebrities when it was all done. My life was done when my dad passed away. It's just bizarre coincidence that I happen to know a few of these. And in the Bob Hope thing helped because we didn't tout it as exclusive, but that is not available on YouTube, the song and dance bit. So, no. I think that's funnier than the parody that they did. Yeah, that was the first time I had ever seen that. The one thing that you said that had to cut out a lot, because it feels like this documentary could easily be five hours, just going through each scene and each character and each one of those times that we've got B. Arthur or when Harvey Corman comes on. I'm surprised that it doesn't go through every single beat of the special because it's such a rich vein of bizarro material we want people to enjoy the film I mean, we don't want to make our own holiday special we've tried to walk this fine line of hardcore star wars fans and people who know nothing i'm sure there's some people who are hardcore that are coming in it's like well, i already knew that and i knew this the thing that we did is basically try to get our arms around everything that we thought we could find and try to pack as much of it we could into it's like the film's like 86 minutes but initially we're going through and being like all right we're just gonna go scene by scene but that seems not very engaging but once we got into the variety stuff. We're like, oh, this is going to blow some people. Like, I do variety, but not to the degree of the Wayne Newton at SeaWorld. The Lawrence Welk clip that we have in there with the dancing, the Land of a Thousand Dances is probably my favorite because the first time Steve showed it, I thought it was I thought it was Saturday Night Live skit with Will Ferrell. <laughs> I was just like, why are you showing me this? And then I looked closer. I was like, oh, that's something that aired on TV for real without it being ironic. <laughs> yeah. We used to get to see that every Sunday night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As old, as old as we are, Mike, you and I didn't watch that show. Admit. No, that's true. That's true. If I saw it on, I'd change the channel. 
Yeah. And yeah. those are parents. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Grandparents, definitely. I love too that you take so many different turns in this film. And one of those areas that you concentrate on is just the idea of the marketing and just what a Wild West show it was when it came to movie marketing back in 77, 78, and just all those different things that were tried in order to get people to see Star Wars and remember Star Wars. And I just love that, that whole section of here's what the attempts were just going to the Star Trek conventions and basically trying to steal the fans away. That was wonderful. I will actually say that Charlie Lippincott, I mean, it was really hard when I first reached out to him. He was very, a little persnickety, obnoxious with me. He was um, only responding to me in Facebook posts. Really weird. Just to everyone on his channel, he just would respond to me. But sooner or later, I understood completely his resentment. and. He's really the through line that we use to take you through the Donnie and Marie show, the uh, this Warner Brothers big meeting that's a real big reveal that showed this spite that, that Lucas had about it. And he takes us right into the special. It's a great through line. It's heartbreaking because you could write a whole book just on Charlie Lippincott. This guy was amazing what he came up with and these original ideas that are now are just commonplace. What we're doing right now is basically Lippincott 101. This is what he was this is what he was kind of preaching. And Jeremy, I'm so curious as far as how much of the story of this you knew. I know you're a fan, not having seen the special, were you aware of all of the stuff that had been going on behind the scenes of the Star Wars Empire at that time? I've seen articles and bits and pieces and like stuff from there. I felt there was like a resurgence of this around like 2010. It seemed to be pretty, if you were into Star Wars, you at least had heard of the holiday. Like when I saw it in 2002, it was t- I'd like, I hadn't heard anything about it. But as people are making like references to it, and the joke was that it's so bad. There'd be articles periodically. So before we had started on I had done it, but I, I didn't. I also felt there was conflicting, there's rumors about what had happened that we kind of dug into, realized that didn't happen. One of the ones that I'll, I would have liked to dig into it more, but we need to get some more interviews. Is uh, I actually don't think George Lucas ever said he was going to smash every copy of it. Yeah, I actually don't. There's no. It's attributed to him at a uh, comp at a, a Comic Con in Australia, but he's never been to a Comic Con in Australia, <laughs> and it's it, there's no there's never a reference for it. I think it's been attributed to him through someone else, but that's one of those things. I'm just like he gets a bad rap for stuff that he didn't do. I know one thing I've been guilty of in the past was repeating that rumor about Merc Hamill and the whole Wampa attack. And that's why he yeah, was in an accident and blah, blah, blah. I'm so glad that you guys cleared that up and just sources again, just coming at this one little bit of trivia that I completely settled that, which I am very thankful for. And hopefully Mark's thankful as well. We're really cruel. We found, an, I won't say what it is, but someone said, someone made a, was asking him about his mascara that he was wearing. And he was really embarrassed about that whole thing. And so it was nice when, I think it was Bonnie Burton that is the one who came up with the perfect, the way she described it was so perfectly when she just said, this has been produced by Tony and Emmy people. Of course, this is the, this is their, of course they make everything larger than the mm-hmm. so sense. 
that makes more sense than anything. Yeah. I also think that echoing Jeremy's feeling about that comment, and I'm not dissing on you because I would say the same thing. And it, it, it very well, it could have even been in one of our first write-ups, that line about the wanting to break everything. It does kind of show like there's, it's just so amazing, Jeremy. Like when you think about how many times we heard the thing being referenced with that phrase, it's just yeah. ridiculous. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's almost like it's a, like a subtitle for the special. It's so common and people just keep spouting it like it's, and again, we did it too. So, you know, nothing on you, Mike. So I don't imagine that the original cast was just out there wanting to talk with you. As you show, you, you kind of start off the documentary with that amazing clip of Harrison Ford on Conan O'Brien. I love that. Who wouldn't participate for this? I know we haven't really gone after any of them hardcore yet. When the maybe as a last, they basically make the film, get people into it, and maybe do our hardcore press after this. But we're holding out hope that we'd love to have Mark Hamill or you know people like that. Like I maybe one of the really interesting picks. I I feel like he references a lot in his tweets, and he has a sense of humor about it. And obviously, like Harrison Ford or Lucas, we would totally sit down, but I don't see that happening. So <laughs> I don't. Maybe you never know, but yeah, it'd be. <laughs> I was so glad to hear all of those original voices to have Carrie Fisher and to hear what her opinions were on this. Just the, to go back to what you're talking about before, Steve, the clips are amazing and stuff I had never seen before. Stuff like the Harvey Corman interview, the Arthur interview, and just getting these people actually to having the availability of those clips of those interviews just to hear those original voices was terrific. We definitely did try to make up for the fact that we weren't going to get, we probably knew that Harriet, Gary Fisher had passed away. And sometimes I think like maybe she might've been the best interview if we could have had anyone because she just had such a great, funny attitude about the whole thing. We did, I did, we did, we were just about finishing. We still had a couple of interviews before we finished for South by Southwest for that cut. And as Jeremy's saying, there is some room for maybe a, a couple of more inserts to one of which is we, had, I spoke on the phone to with Carrie Fisher's brother, who was very interesting. He'd been on the set and he had this really great attitude about her singing. She said, he said, you know what? She was fine. She sang great. Like people who trash her singing, ridiculous. She doesn't sing badly. She's just not Barbara Streisand. That's all. And he said, being the son of Eddie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds, he said, Everyone doesn't have to be Eddie Fisher. They can sing a song and it's okay and it doesn't change your life. And he's one of those interviews that, I mean, I really felt her spirit through his discussion. So maybe you might squeeze a line into it if we cut it again. How many cuts have there been? Jeremy? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, I've probably watched the film 500 times or something. It's been, yeah, initially I was like, we're going to hire an editor because I, so I started out as an editor on Napoleon Dynamite and I did one other film and then I had retired where I'm like, oh, editing's too hard. I'm going to go be producer because it's more fun. And then it just became obvious due to budgetary constraints that I need to step up and do it. So I started probably, it's probably May last year or May of last year. This was just like a beast coming into it. So you have to just take it piece by piece and just keep layering it in. And, and then it just, you found a groove with people watching and getting feedback. But there's been, I basically, if you count every day, I'd usually watch it. So I'd edit, 
And that's my process. I usually edit it, watch at the end of the day, and then do that day after day. Wow. It sounds like Sisyphus. Yeah, exactly. More fun than that. It's some variety stuff. It was, it was amusing, but yeah, it's just, I feel like every film, a friend of mine described it best for, it's like eating an elephant and like, it's daunting to look at it, but you just basically just start bit by bit and eventually get enough momentum where it carries you to the end. I love the thing that you were doing with the titles for people and using the graphics from the old Star Wars trading cards. That was really super clever. Oh, thanks. That's uh, Dan Didier, who's my company's our uh, graphics guy and like a post-production supervisor. So he did all the graphics for this because we had no money and he did an awesome job. But yeah, he, I was like, I want something that feels Star Wars in the 70s. He's like, oh, I could do this. And uh, yeah, I love that too. It just has like nice texture to it. What well, I also thought was great was the, uh, was the showing of the staff coming and going. Working no. great with that too, because this cast and crew, this crew just completely just moves around like amazing. And to be able to see little references, I think do, it's entertaining. And uh, I thought that they, it probably helps people follow it along. I did have a question about that. You keep showing the collector's card for Pat Proft, but he's not in the documentary. Was he not willing to go in front of the camera? His memory is not great. And the one story that he had, I did speak to him on the phone. He just had just been around. It's like he told the story about his he bringing his son to the set and um and that he came to the set when everyone was passing out and all of his heroes were being dragged out of the studio and being treated by EMTs. It was it was three sentences. He's very talented guy but he just doesn't remember much from the special he's a, he's also in minnesota which that's true that's it was, true. It, was, it was hard to justify a trip up to there just for the one interview given the budget we had that's true and the guy from if you know the special the other guy who lived right like five minutes from him was the guy who is in the pond mailer isn't it love Ma- yes sick how we know these names he lived five minutes away but he passed away so that yeah it became just Choosing our battles, which would we could afford to interview. And Millennials and Bruce Valanche are amazing interviews. Those two guys were just, they remembered so much stuff. And that was a mirror. Yeah. I mean, Bruce is such a raconteur. And then, yeah, Lenny, I had never heard him talk about it before. It was great to hear his stories. Especially Lenny's like a lovely person. I had spent like all day with him. Like he was just the nicest guy. Is South by Southwest, is this the premiere, the first time you're actually seeing it with an audience? Worldwide premiere and first time with, an, yeah, it's, it's actually been the first time we've seen it with an audience because all the feedback's been just sending links to people. So I've never seen this with more than, actually, I don't know if I've seen it with any more than my wife, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> she must be so sick of it by now. No, she's only watched once. She, okay. she, and she watched... She was like, once we got into South by Southwest, she's, I was like, do you want to watch this? I don't know if it's for you. And she, she enjoyed it. She's not the biggest Star Wars fan, but she liked it. <laughs> or at least told me she liked it. And hopefully that's an audience that we can get with this. I think the Star Wars fans, if they know where it is, they see it there, they'll watch it out of curiosity. I think the real victory would be to get non-Star Wars fans to be intrigued by the general story. It's crossing over in a way that I didn't expect. I mean, I have, I have someone, I won't name him because I won't embarrass him, but he loved the movie and he literally in my mind, he's older, not Star Wars fan, hating Star Wars. And he loved the movie. And in my mind, when I was editing, I was like, 
this guy will not like this movie. So the fact we won him over is a huge game. Wow. Score. That's fantastic. What's after South by Southwest? Do you guys know? Oh, for distribution deals. We're doing sales out of South by Southwest. I think the film's got a pretty healthy film festival live. So we have some of those. I can't announce them yet. They're in the works, but we'll see what comes our way in the coming months. Ideally, I think this film should come out for the holidays, life day later this year. We have some runway until we get there, but yeah. whatever distributor wants to do, we're up for. That's fantastic. And what are you working on now, Jeremy? My company, September Club, we focus on documentaries. We have a documentary feature on the comedian Gallagher. Oh, wow. We're open to finish, which the director on that's been followed him for four years. And it's, it's another like weird, crazy, just interesting. I didn't know as much about him as, as I, I've now found out. I'll be an expert on the holiday special Gallagher, like all these weird things, but a bunch of other projects going on, but that, that's the one that's probably going to come out next. And how about you, Steve? What are you working on now? I have yet to jettison myself into the full-time filmmaking like Jeremy. That would be amazing. I work full-time for Jimmy Kimmel Live as a film and researcher, clearance person, licensing. But I did sell a book to Applause Books about the same subject. I'm still on the second draft of that, and that'll come out around life date. Fantastic. I'm hoping there's going to be a physical release of this movie with a lot of extras on it as well. Fingers crossed. Yeah. We hope so, too. People still buy DVDs? Preppers and apocalypse-type people that want to make sure they have their physical media when the world goes south. So where's the best place for people to keep up on the movie and its festival run? So, I mean, our socials are on Facebook and Twitter, but the easiest is probably uh, com. so D-O-C. That's our website, and we'll update it. As things happen, and they're actually selling advanced tickets to two of our shows at South by Southwest. It was in Austin, so our Tuesday and Wednesday screens, you can buy tickets for twenty five dollars, and the links are on the site. Fantastic. So you want to buy the thousand dollar badge, you can get tickets and just see our film. Jeremy, Steve, thank you so much for your time, guys. This was fantastic. Thanks for yeah, thanks for your support. Yeah, thanks for having us.
stars have vanished And the legends say he will come back again someday Oh, baby, baby. 